Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> that was delayed. Wow. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. That's a little, be- a little better. Um, I'm Vic. This is Joel. And we are glad you are here. I, if some of you, like, this is the first time you've seen this. Yes, there's supposed to be two of us here. Uh, this is how we've been teaching in our college ministry for several years now. And uh, we are unbelievably excited to start yeah. a new series today called How Life Works Through the Book of James. And uh, we hope uh, you are as excited as we are about it. I think you will be uh, as we move through this series. But uh, today, in particular, we're going to be talking about uh, trials and tests. And um, anybody in here ever fail a test? We get a, yeah, whoa, man. <laughs> we have study. a room full of failures. Just failure everywhere. Yes. Well, that's it. Let's that makes go home. Sense. We're in the right place. There's no reason to be here now. Um, so, um, typically, we think of like written exams yeah. or things like that. But that, there was I, recently, well, probably within the past couple of years, I failed a test, but it wasn't a written test. I, I want to uh, kind of tell you a little story here. A couple of years ago, my oldest son Isaac, I'm oldest son. Second son, Isaac, um, kind of tricked me into doing a Spartan race. You know what a Spartan race is? Anybody? Like it's this insane thing where it's supposed, to, the short version is supposed to be a 5K, but it was actually four and a half miles. And, and there are like 23 obstacles and it's everything from climbing a rope to crawling through mud under barbed wire. It's ridiculously hard. But he, he convinced me to do it by saying this. Oh, uh, all kinds of people do it, Dad. You, I was really out of shape and overweight at the time. Um, there are no pictures, hopefully. Uh, but he taught me into signing up, so I sign up for this thing. It's like 120 bucks to run the thing. And then after I pay the interest fee, I can't get out, right? He says, oh, there's a fitness test you should take before you run, right? So this was the fitness test. I'm thinking, all right, I'll see if we can do it. This was the test. Complete these three tests in sequence. Dead hang, which is you just hang from a bar as long as possible and record the time. Uh, A burpee test, anybody, you know what a burpee is? Like it was designed by uh, people that torture prisoners of war. Yes. Uh, Do as many burpees as possible in five minutes. and then a distance test. Uh, run as far as you can in 30 minutes and record the distance. So I attempted all of these. <laughs> I probably hung just free hanging, right, for maybe 25 seconds. Oh, yeah, go home and try it. <laughs> it's harder than it looks. Chuckles. Okay. It, is, it is harder than it looks. Uh, the burpees, right? So I start out really good. I knocked seven out, no problem. <laughs> and then on nine, I notice I'm getting winded. Yeah. At 11, I don't get off the floor. I mean, I'm done. So then I gotta get up and I gotta run for 30 minutes. I haven't run anywhere except from the couch to the refrigerator in years. I did not run very far 
in 30 minutes. So here's the, here's the test. I, I probably covered maybe a mile and a half, maybe, in 30 minutes. So this is what, so you should not do a Spartan if you cannot dead hang for at least 30 seconds. You need to be able to do 40 burpees. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> and you need to be able to run five kilometers in 30 minutes. I couldn't do any of that. So I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I've, that was the test. That wasn't even the race. So my whole goal at that point was, I don't want to die. So I start training, and, uh, and as it got close to the race, my wife, Cynthia, can tell you this. I almost didn't go on race day because I thought, I'm literally going to die on this race course. This is how it ends. And, uh, but somehow I persevered and pushed through. And th- let, me, let me say this to you. There was nothing fun about it. There was no joy in it. It was ridiculously hard until the end. Because you get to the end, and they, everybody that crawls across the finish line gets one of these really cool medals and literally crawls across, right? Um, now you think, well, you got that off the bucket list, right? I've done four of these insane things because after getting through it, I realized I learned something about myself and it actually helped me. But that's, that's an example of one test that I failed where I grew some out of it. But life is full of tests, mm-hmm. right? And we all know that. Yep. So you have your Bible open to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, James begins his letter by declaring that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he writes to his audience, the 12 tribes and the dispersion. Greetings. Might come back to this in just a second, but I I want you to see right away in verse 2, out of the gate, James goes with this. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So last week, last Friday, um, I had a crazy day. And I want you to kind of think back over your past week, and maybe you can think through some of those moments where it just got crazy, or it got hard. And so last Friday, it was, a, it was a pretty packed day. I had stuff going in the morning. I had a meeting in Atlanta um, that was really important. I've been prepping for it with my wife. We go to Atlanta. We drive you know, an hour, hour and a half um, downtown to meet there. Uh, we have a great meeting. We finish our meeting. We get in the car, and our car doesn't start. <laughs> so we start like laying hands and praying on the car. And somehow the Lord revives our car, and we take off. Okay. But then our day just gets crazy. We get home. This is after a full week of my sister-in-law uh, staying with us. She had been sick. We like quarantined her in another room because we have five kids. We didn't want all of our kids sick. We quarantined her in another room, and we're trying to take care of her. And uh, her car is messed up. So while, um, uh, we, it's like as soon as we got back, I take her car to the shop. I had a friend in town who uh, was here, and he was like, hey, let's hang out. I was like, yes, of course can you come pick me up at the shop? And so I drop off her car, he picks me up. It's supposed to be a 15 minute ride from the shop to my house. And like, I think it was literally two, two hours and something minutes it took us to get home. There's this giant wreck on 441 and we got rerouted down uh, New High Shoals Road to a four-way stop. We sat at the four-way stop for an hour. 
Uh, as soon as we got past the four-way stops, a guy comes up and rear-ends us. So now we're in a wreck that was caused by a wreck. And we're sitting on the side of the road and go through all the, the you know, details of that if you've ever gone through that. And I'm thinking, man, like this day was insane. It was crazy. It wasn't fun <laughs> sitting in traffic for two hours and waiting there as you know, your friend's borrowed car just got smashed up. And maybe you can think back of, through some things like that this week that you went through, some trials, some, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was anxiety over where you're at right now in life or in school. And then I also think about my cousin. My cousin right now has a 10-year-old girl who's just a little bit older than my nine-year-old girl who has a brain tumor and probably just a short time left to live. And I think, man, I cannot imagine what it'd be like to be in their shoes right now. And James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How could he possibly say, count it joy when we face trials? Why does he say that? It's, um, it is one of those crazy sentences in the Bible, right? And you read it and you think, well, that's great, James. You actually knew Jesus, like you were his little brother. You walked around with him. You, you, don't, you don't know what it's like. That's the tendency we have, right? And um, I think it's important distinction to, to notice here. He says, when, mm. not if, when. If you haven't faced a trial yet, just keep living. Yep. They're coming. And, and the reason James says count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, he, he says, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Right? For you know, not you're going to figure out, but you know that the testing of your faith produces something. So your tri- the trials exist to produce something in our life. Just like the, the crazy experience I had in the, in the Spartan race produced, I, I, I'm a little fitter now than I was two years ago. Mm-hmm. But it took a lot of breaking <laughs> for that to happen. And James says the, the trials in your life are put there, God uses them to produce something in your life. So we can, we can take some comfort in that, that we're not just yeah. turned loose, you know, God doesn't wind the watch up and then walk away from it. There is a purpose in the trials and the testing. It's actually uh, another way you can translate that is when you're tested, yeah. that there's a purpose in it. It produces something. Yeah. So James is telling us to count it all joy. It's, it's a shift in perspective. We, we've called this series How Life Works. How Life Works is actually a good definition for wisdom. Wisdom is us understanding and being able to apply the truths of how life works, and, and, and especially in knowing how God has set up this universe to run and how we then you know, walk beside that and walk in that. And so James, through this whole letter, is showing us this is how you are to live. This is how life works best. And he starts off with 
a pretty difficult idea here that we're to count it joy. And he knows that we won't already be there. That we have to be able to uh, get to that point where we have that in our mind to count it joy, to deem that situation, that trial joy. And it says of various kinds. And so just like I shared a second ago, it, there, there are times where like we're in a car accident and that's a trial. We, we have a rough time at, you know, with a certain test or uh, studying for a test. That's a trial. It's of various kinds. It takes different forms and fashions. It may be in a relationship or, or how you're treated um, by your parents. Those are all trials that we face. And he says, count it all joy, knowing, this is what you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yes, that's an interesting word, steadfastness. You may have a translation that says uh, patience, uh, endurance. Yeah. It's used multiple ways in the scriptures. Let me, let me give you a couple of other references just so you can see it used. Uh, Luke 21 uh, Jesus is talking about uh, persecution that's going to come, um, and l- listen to what he says um, in Luke 21, I'm just going to pick up in 12, uh, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to... Uh, meditate beforehand on how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents brothers relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish here it is verse 19 by your endurance by your steadfastness you will gain your lives so that's Jesus using it mm-hmm. then in Romans Paul, talking about persecution again, says this, um, we have obtained access, Romans 5, uh, this is verse 2, into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance or steadfastness. There is no problem in the mind of any New Testament writer with you having a trial and God being good. So we, did, we need to settle that now, mm-hmm. okay? You, God's not a bully. And, and, and probably, because, because this is where a lot of us land, you may be thinking, why can't I get a break? Mm-hmm. Well, the, there, there's never a guarantee. Jesus says you're gonna be hated for his namesake, you're gonna be put to death, um, you, Paul says, you're gonna face trials. It produces endurance and steadfastness. And, and so we've gotta get past this idea that I can't catch a break and, and our perspective needs to change. It's all about perspective. Yeah, well, let me show you another verse. In 2 Corinthians, that's a little bit to the left of James in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, Verse 16. Turn there for a moment. It's a little bit to the left. Second Corinthians chapter 4 on your phone. You can pop up that reference. Here's the Apostle Paul. 
If you know anything about his story, uh, he persecuted Christians. Jesus captured his heart and when he blinded him on, on the road to persecute more Christians. And from that moment on, Paul ran after Jesus. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting our way, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, listen to this, light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Mm. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul is getting at this idea that even though he has been shipwrecked, even though he's been stoned to death or close to death, even though he's been persecuted in every form and fashion, he says this, this is a light momentary affliction. Because when you put in perspective eternity, that's exactly what it is. So James is showing us how to be wise. Mm. And wisdom tells us that this life is short. We're going to get to that in our verses uh, that we'll hopefully cover yeah. this morning. That life is short, but eternity is long. And, and so when we walk through trials, we have the option to count it joy, uh, knowing this, that it's going to prove something in our life when we steadfastly hold on to it. Uh, for example, how does someone know that you can do something without first you being tested. How would anyone know Vic could even not die on the Spartan race field yeah. without him doing the test close. beforehand? It was very close. Did they look at your results and know, like, this guy should not be out here? Right no. Now? No. Like you for, could tell. For insurance sake? Or yeah, you could. You actually have to sign a waiver that, that says, I realize I might die. <laughs> there you go. They, they had that part covered. Yeah. But that's how we're, right, that's the point of a test. The test is to prove. Yeah. Uh, that you uh, are what you are. It, the tests in the Bible um, wipe away the impurities of our life to bring forth what truly needs to be there. I think about um, with I think about the, the the conversation I had with my father-in-law before he was my father-in-law. I sat down with my father-in-law and I just thought, you know, when I was about to ask him to marry his daughter. And, and I thought, like, of course, we've been dating six months. That's like an eternity. Like, how could this go wrong? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I want to marry your daughter. This, this is going to be great. We love each other. And I remember him just looking at me like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> I, it was not the way that, you know, you envision that conversation going at all. And he, and he was like, just slow down a second. And I'm like, what? Like, this, this is fine. Everything's fine. Uh, we love each other. Like, we're, of course, this is going to work out. Well, here's what I know after a short, short 15 years of marriage for my wife and I, that um, it doesn't work out for everybody. Mm. And you have a, a lot better perspective of how hard that relationship is. And when I sat down in that conversation with the guy that had been through a lot more life than I had, for him to know that and to know I was gonna, we were going to be tested in every way, uh, he, he, was, he wanted to make sure that we were ready, right? But it's only through marriage, hello? 
It's only through this marriage that we've been able to prove, and it's only until we cross the finish line, whatever day that is, when we go to be with Jesus, that, that we'll be able to prove that this relationship was a commitment to each other for life hmm. until death do us part. And I, I brought some clay up here. I see that. Did you steal that from one of the kids? Yes. It's actually we won't my tell. daughter's. Um, and here's, here's us, right? We are... Sorry, it might be me. We, we're just this lump of clay, and these trials start to work on us. And this is what it feels like, right? When we go through a trial, it's, 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 we feel it bearing down on us. We feel mm. the hardness, but it's shaping us. And, and then James says, so that we may be perfect and complete, but we're going somewhere. We're being molded into something. And the more we walk through those trials, the more we're proved. And the more we're proved, there's a little less work to do. And a little less work to do means that we've, we've gotten some of the wisdom along the line that we needed. And so it's a little bit less on us. Yeah. We're, we're growing closer to that perfect and completeness that he says they're lacking nothing. It, it's interesting. I read this week that archaeologists have found uh, clay pots, remnants, that have this Greek word... Uh, is the, the word trial, testing. It's the word for testing, stamped on the bottom of them. And it was stamped there because those things had passed through fire and didn't crack. So think, think about, that's, I think it's a great picture of what happens to us. That's this testing is us passing through the fire to work out the mm-hmm. impurities and to mm-hmm. make us... It, more like Christ. And when James says that let steadfastness have its full effect, let it do its work. Don't, don't run from testing or trials or don't, Mm -hmm. don't sit there and go, why God, you're unfair. Why are you doing this? And also don't do this. Don't go looking for it (laughs) again. It's coming every day. It's coming. But, but this idea that you, you are going to be perfect and complete lacking nothing, it means we're moving towards something. It doesn't mean in th- this side of heaven you're going to be perfect, right? It's, it's a movement toward being complete, being more Christ-like, uh, being more mature than you were last year or five years ago. That's what James is saying. This, this testing and you remaining steadfast is producing in you. Okay, so let's read this all the way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's verse 2. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I put my number up on the screen. If you have a question, you can text in. Here's the first question. So here we go. We get closer to perfection and being complete. Does the circumstances of life become easier, or do we just know how to depend on Jesus more? I was like oh, asking oh, the question. Oh man, it, no, it doesn't get easier. In in a lot of ways, it gets harder. I know you wanted to hear that, right? <laughs> um, here's here's what happens. You you um, 
a couple of weeks back, I had a very similar story to you. We had a car die, the engine died in the car, and it's on the other side of Greensboro. I gotta drive to get the, it's, ugh. I was not counting it joy in the moment, but I would, I'd already been in James, we'd been studying, and I'm driving, I'm, I'm going down 50, I'm angry. And it bouncing around in my head is, count it all joy. Right, you ever have, you, you, is it just me, or sometimes the Holy Spirit goes, starts quoting verses in your head you don't wanna hear? And, and, and about five or 10 minutes into the drive, I'm literally almost laughing about the car, right? Here's why, because in, in my mind, my perspective yeah. was different. It's just a car. My oldest son was driving it when it died, and, and, and it could have been worse. I didn't get a call saying the car's upside down, mm-hmm. involved in a car, like he wasn't being airlifted anywhere. It's just a dead car. Count it all joy because God, God was doing something there in me. And so what happens is as you get older and you walk this life of steadfastness and endurance, the gap between you being really angry and not being able to count it joy and you being able to count it joy gets smaller. Does that make sense? Like I still, I wasn't happy that the car died, right? But because God has been faithful to me for a lot of years, and I can look back and go, you know what, God, you, you have, this is for my good and your glory, and so I'm gonna count it joy. And so that, that, that's why, it doesn't get easier, the, the gap between you not being able to handle it and you counting it joy gets shorter if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Pastor Carlos said in the first two services, he said, uh, you don't get a package of trials in the mail, open it up and post it on Instagram. (laughs) Like that's not how trials work. But at the same time, think about this. The more you dwell in this passage, and this is what has happened to me this week, the more you understand that you can count a joy. Because I had somebody recently um, comment about uh, my preaching, and they were like, you know, Joel, we heard you preach, you know, 10 years ago, and not that you were bad, I probably was, but not that you were bad, but um, there's a different way in which you preach now. There's depth, and and I still have a long way to go, obviously, but I was like, they're right. There's so much more depth here because of some of the things I've had to walk through in the past few years that have been really hard. And I would never ask for those things, ever, believe me. But in those things, God has produced in me more steadfastness. And the more steadfastness that we have, the more we look like him. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of what steadfastness looks like, right? Him going to the cross on our behalf was complete steadfastness. Him holding strong, him holding fast. Mm. And when we have that come out more in our life, there's depth there between, in our relationship with him. And, and we, if you ever sit down with someone who's been a believer for 50 years, yeah. let's say, it's, it's incredible because often it's, it's everything you thought about like in your mind as being important or like feeling a certain way. It's like you walk out of those conversations the exact opposite and you're like, I don't even know anything, right? right. You, they, yeah. every, they, they've totally changed how, how you think and that is a result of that they've walked through 
what James is saying here. Right. And so let's say you're walking through a trial right now. And, and here's the thing about trials. They're usually surprising. You don't expect them. Mm-hmm. And you a lot of times have no idea what to do. Yep. Right. The, the instruction manual, how life works. Right. So if you don't know what to do, what should you do? Yep. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which all of us at certain points in our life lack wisdom, right? Here's, here's, here's the thing about wisdom. Wisdom comes to us through three things, right? Our knowledge, our perspective, and our experience. Um, when, when we walk through trials, we don't know all that's going on. We don't see the situation from every vantage point, and uh, we often lack experience, right? To your uh, your friend's example with the daughter, mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't have experience for that. Yeah, you lack the experience. But here's the great thing: James says, if you lack wisdom, if you if you don't have the 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 knowledge, the perspective, and the experience, ask. God who gives generously because God has all the knowledge, all the perspective, and Jesus experienced everything we're told in the scriptures. So we have access to the all-knowing God who sees our trial from every perspective and has a purpose in it. So James says, so if you don't know what to do, if you're in a trial right now and you're just freaking out, I don't know what to do, this seems unfair, James gives you some counsel. Ask yeah. God for wisdom. The, the giving. The giving God. God, yeah. So wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. You can have knowledge all day long, but if you don't apply it at the right time, and, and even if you do it at the wrong time, it may ruin everything, right? You, I have the knowledge of knowing how to drive, but if I haven't slept for 24 hours and I try to drive, then what happens? There's I've had good... Uber drivers like that, by the way. <laughs> There's a pretty good chance that things may not end up well. Mm. Exactly. And, and so knowledge uh, rightly applied is wisdom in our life. So we need that. We may know some things, but we need wisdom. We need to be able to ask of God. And when you read this verse in the original language, it, it really uh, reads a little better than the way any way it can be translated because the way English is set up because it it says that let him ask of the giving God. Think about that. Think about how that changes when you think about God in that way. That that is who he is. Let him ask of the giving God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, generously without reproach, without ever saying like, why would you ever ask me? He doesn't say that. He says, no, I'm the giving God. You come to me and I will give to you. If you think back in our John series, when we walked through the the gospel of John, every time Jesus did a miracle, it was so far above and beyond what anybody asked. When uh, he changed water into wine, it was until it overflowed and they had way more than they could ever drink. That's the way God gives to us. And so if we ask of God, it will be given to us. What a promise this is. But then with, with this caveat, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And, and this is another one of those words, the, the word doubting here, that um, 
It is translated so many different ways. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, um, in fact, Jesus translates it uh, where he's talking about signs of the times. He says, you, you know how to interpret the signs. It's the same word James uses as doubt. It's translated as waver, um, another Judge, way it's judging. judging. Yeah. So it's this idea that you, you've got two things in front of you or multiple things in front of you and you're trying to pay attention to all yeah. of them at one time instead of focusing on yeah. one. And James says you can't, you can't do that. You're trying to make a decision where to eat today. Do I go here or do I go here? Oh. You're a double-minded man. When you keep both of those things in front of you, you're doubting. And that's what James is getting at, that if you are like Peter. Yes. All right. Let's look at this because we have, we have some examples. Peter, wouldn't you love to be Peter? He has all these examples of, hey, yeah. don't do this. Yeah, exactly. Right? Peter. Um, in Matthew 14, you can turn there if you want. Uh, you don't have to. You're probably really familiar with the story if you've been in church a while. Uh, they, Jesus sends them across the water, and they look. They're in the boat, and they look, and he's walking toward them on the water, right? Crazy. Um, Jesus spoke. They're like, it's a ghost. Uh, he goes, no, no, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. And I, I'm going to get out of the boat and walk to you on the water. Verse 29, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, think about the idea of don't doubt him. When he, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's the picture. That's a perfect picture of being yeah. double-minded. Yeah. He wants to look at Jesus and pay attention to all the stuff that's going on around him at the same time. Yeah. And when, when you do that, he loses focus on Jesus and he begins to sink. Yeah. And, and so that, that's a picture of what it means to be double-minded. Yeah. Let me give you another picture of what it means to not be double-minded. Paul gives us, in fact, Paul uses the same word for doubt. In uh, Romans 4, he's talking about the promise uh, that made through Abraham, the promise in his offspring, Romans 4, 13, that Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, right? And... Um, Oh, it's so good. I'm not going to read the whole thing. All right. Verse 19, he says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, right? So Abraham has every right to doubt. Paul adds, since he was about 100 years old, <laughs> or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah. So God has promised him, you're going to have an heir. You're going to bless the world. You're 100 years old. Your wife is barren. He did not weaken in faith. No distrust made him waver. That's the word, same word James uses, James uses for doubt. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced mm -hmm. that God was able to do what he promised. Abraham believed the giving God. And nothing could make him waver from that. Not the fact that he was 100 years old or that his wife was barren. God can be trusted. God is steadfast. It's interesting. We've, we talked about this this week that 
Abraham's prom, belief is anchored in the steadfastness of God. Yeah. James is calling us as believers to be steadfast, and most of the time yeah. in the New Testament, it's connected to suffering. Be steadfast through suffering. The word steadfast in the Old Testament, do you know what it is most often connected to? The love of God. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Psalm 136, it's like every other sentence in Psalm 136. Abraham believes the giving God because it's anchored in his love. And, and that's, that's where I think James is trying yep. to get us to that. Don't doubt, don't waver because the giving God loves you and cares about you. If you miss everything we say this morning, we want you to hear this idea that, that to remain steadfast under trial is an unwavering belief in God, that he's good. No matter what we walk through, no matter how hard it is, he's good. Romans 8.28, uh, that we know that in all things God is working together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. At, in our, at our church here, our mission is to make wholehearted followers of Christ. And that's what we're being called here to do. We're, we're called to be wholehearted, not double-hearted, wholehearted after, after God. We, we, um, and the image here is, is really, really good because James says, um, <laughs> he says, picture the ocean. Have you ever taken a picture of the ocean at different times of the day? Have you ever noticed how different the ocean looks? Uh, the wind changes the, di the direction of the waves. If you've been out there, I was out this summer with my kids and I was sending them on boogie boards. Even my two-year-old, it was like, put me on the boogie board and go. And she's like, can't even speak. I was just commenting what she was thinking. Anyways, <laughs> she, she, she's like, daddy, me, me. And, and I put her on the boogie board and she's riding the waves. But the thing I noticed is it's amazing when you're doing that, like how quick the waves shift one direction to the mm -hmm. next. And he says, that's what we're like when we're not wholeheartedly with Jesus how can, you, how can you ever think you're going to remain steadfast? And so it starts with that. And then verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So James gives us illustration there of the rich man and the poor man that neither one of those things count, really. Mm. Right? You, you, the, uh, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation because really it doesn't matter that you're low. Because God is, because that can produce some trials, right? Poverty can produce trials. James is saying, endure, persevere, remain steadfast. The same thing for the rich person. The, the, your riches bring trials. It doesn't matter. Remain steadfast because God is working something in you, and that is for you to be more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then this last, uh, verse 12, and, and we'll end here. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is a, a reward for remaining steadfast, for just putting one foot in front of the other and just 
counting it joy because you know God's doing work. And, and it doesn't, it's not this false happiness where you're just laughing about trials. It's yeah. this real gritty, mm-hmm. hard, I'm going to hang on and, and trust the promise of the giving God that there's a crown of yeah. life that's, that's better than any medal mm-hmm. you're going to get. That's right. When you cross the line, you're going to get it. And there's a reason we're going to get it. And if you flip back a few pages to Hebrews, you'll, you'll see. Yeah, help me out with the verses there. It's, I want you to think about Hebrews 12. Yeah, Hebrews 12. Uh, we'll, we'll look at verse 1. Start in verse 1. Yeah. Go ahead. I want you to think about the word steadfastness before we get to Hebrews 12. We talked about this word a lot this week because, you know, it appears several times in our text. And Vic and I were going back and forth. Is it like, you know, because it's translated endurance, does it like, what's, what's the word that captures this for people? How do we say this so people get this word? And it's really hard to translate. The Greek word hupamame is, it, it just means cons- constancy. It means active steadfastness. It means staying power. It means endurance. It means stickability. It means fortitude. It means heroic endurance. Job 13, 15, I just read through the book of Job, and this verse stuck out to me like it never has before. You may have heard it before. After Job suffers incalculable trials, he says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. It's heroic endurance. That's what it means to stay steadfast under trial, to be able to count it joy. And we think, well, who does that sound like? And how could we ever do that? Well, the only answer is found in Hebrews 12:1, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, let us run with steadfastness, with fortitude, with heroic endurance, the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, what is that? Joy. Joy. Set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's really simple. We're able to endure because he endured. We're able to stay steadfast because he was steadfast. We look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. He is the one in which empowers us to do this. And so we invite you this morning to put your faith in him, to put your trust in him. If you're here this morning, you've never said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me of All the times in which I've tried to do this life on my own, all the times I've tried to make it through trials on my own, all the times I've tried to have my own righteousness or my own goodness, if you are willing to repent of that and look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, he will save you and he'll walk beside you. He is wisdom embodied. When we go through trials and we ask of God, we need wisdom, Jesus walks beside us. And I can tell you, there's nothing more than I, there's nothing more I could have ever needed in anything I've ever gone through, and I'm sure Vic can attest to this too, 
than Jesus walking beside me as I've walked through hard things. So I invite you this morning to know him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and, and the challenge of James for us to count it joy. It is not an easy task. It requires spirit-empowered, gospel-centered fuel to count trials joy. No matter how small they are, no matter how big they are, it, to, be, to remain steadfast requires your work in us. And so, Father, do your work in your people. Lord, I, I think about uh, the many of us in the room who we're like Peter right now. We've got our eye on you, but we're also looking at the waves and we're sinking. Lord, I pray you would give them the strength and the courage to, to cry out like Peter did and just say, Lord, save me. Put my eyes back on you and, and you will answer just like you did Peter, you, you immediately reached out your hand to Peter and you took hold of him. Lord, I pray you'd take hold of people today, whether it's brothers and sisters who are in trials, who, who are just looking for a way to keep pressing forward, or maybe someone in here who's never said yes to you. God, you do your work. Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do for our good and the glory of Jesus. We pray it. Amen. Amen.